Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and of course, with me today is my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. G'day, Nitin. Hey, Derek, back from Bitcoin conference. So this should be only about Bitcoin this time, not Beyond Isn't Bitcoin. Isn't it great? So we're running a show called Beyond <laughs> Bitcoin, and now we're doing a Bitcoin exclusive event. But why not? Because what we're trying to do at the moment is be very much contemporaneous with the news and activities. And this has just happened. So BTC in Miami, it's great. It's quite a litmus test, in fact, of what's happening in the world, not just technology wise, user wise, but also, um, you know, in enthusiasm and engagement wise. And that is that you know, it's, this is the, 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 the conference, you know, represented all sorts of things around the forms of activation, um, attendee experiences, and, you know, builders, politicians, business leaders, some of the most influential people in this space were there at um, BTC Miami. Um, and it's intriguing to see that, that this was considered to be the world's largest Bitcoin gathering. And last year, um, which was the second year, this is the third year of BTC Miami, 35,000 people attended it. This year, 15,000 people attended yeah. it. And, and it's intriguing to see that not just that 15,000 people attending it, but probably now it's getting down to the core, you know, the core groups, institutions, organizations that are actively involved with this space. And cryptocurrency conferences tend to occupy sort of an outsized role, let's say, um, of the digital assets industry, because many of these employees in the digital assets industry work remotely. So gatherings like this are really important for them to bring together and interact with real life experiences. So there's a lot of crypto conferences. And this Bitcoin conference is quite intriguing, not just because of some of the technology, not just because Bitcoin is leading, but looking at some of the speakers that were prepared to turn up and support Bitcoin. So let's have a roam through the conference. What was it like, Nitin? What was the experience like? What was the vibe like? Who do you think was there? Um, and then who were the big speakers that came on the day? No, no, absolutely. And I think first thing, uh, Derek, I'd like to thank the Bitcoin magazine for the invitation and passes that I got. It's not just me, but some of my cohorts in the industry. And I think it is what you expect from Bitcoin conference to be. It's opinionated. Everybody has mm -hmm. a perspective because they're all Bitcoin maxis. It's controversial because there's a lot of conversation that are happening that is not what happened in what they would call as normies world, which is normal people's world, apparently. <laughs> and purists discussing problems with flavor of ideologies and some very smart people coming together to discuss societal, economic, and technical problems sort of make this world a fair and a better place. So I think it is, you know, it was a little bit subdued, like consensus was, and that's indicative of not just the the crypto economy uh, that actually is still figuring out its its place, but also overall economic conditions in terms of, you know, um, so people are a bit cautious in terms of travel expenses and budgets. So that's understandable. Uh, but I think it was great. And, and the energy as in many Bitcoin conferences was, uh, we believe that 
this was the coalition of the willing that everybody who was there truly believed in the cause and who were looking into it. There were four sections uh, as the as the, the they had four stages uh, with parallel session. One was the main stage called Nakamoto stage. And then you had the stage for the enterprise, which is institutional investors figuring out as to what to do with this new asset class, which I thought was super interesting because I have mm. one leg in crypto, one leg in one leg in uh, banking, institutional space and banking. Mm. And then you had open source, which is all about technology innovation and some some really deep insights into where what the Bitcoin core developers are looking at and solving some of the core issues. Mm. And then you have, of course, the mining stage, which is the production area, both in yes. the concept of energy and everything else. So those are the sort of four uh stages i classified the entire conference because i was i picked a few sessions because it's impossible to do all of them uh in you know in at the same time so i picked a few things but to me i had four broad thematic sense so one is what i call the normie world which is for common people who may not be entrenched in bitcoin element is regulation politics economics you know economic implication fiat usdc currency debasement these are all like normal topics of of you know of the of you know the current times the second classification, I'd see Bitcoin revolution, which is project that aimed to change what we discuss a lot on this on this podcast, Eric, is composable finance, payments, uh, store of value, you know, value making movement uh, of these, you know, uh, easy and affordable around the globe and truly creating this global ecosystem that we always compared the blockchain ecosystem to give them a nation state status that they are truly global in nature. Uh, of course, I look into produ- the production equation, which is mining and hardware uh mining because of the the dame which is again the the attack on the industry from taxing energy and in in the us of course and the ban in china and where where would the industry go and what is the debate around it is it really fair so that has been a, and i will say this derek I'll, and I'll discuss this in detail some amazing innovation that i've seen especially mm. in the hardware and 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 you know in the mining space which is to you know envisioning a trailer park of mining where you can just have portable mining stations. You can move wherever energy moves. I thought it was brilliant. And then you have the Bitcoin technical innovation and debate, which is from privacy to scalability and all the controversy that surround the ordinals that led to the fee upswings and new way to ensure better key management. These are all, to me, these are the four broad categories of the the entire conference. So I'll pause here, uh, get your thoughts. So knowing that Bitcoin has always been touted as, um, you know, providing people with genuine independence, independence primarily from putting their assets into institutional environments held by other organisations. But it's also wrapped around this, you know, the concept of investment, the concept of being able to store value, store wealth. And you talked about institutional investors being there. Tell me what are the institutions looking at, especially during this this fairly much lacklustre period um, of cryptocurrencies. What are the institutional drivers and 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 what are their attitudes, do you think? Yeah, so institutional, which is the enterprise stage. So enterprise stage is all about business models. How do you make money from this piece? Of course, there were regulatory concerns. Is there Where is the regulatory clarity? Where do we move the money? Uh, but there was also interesting conversation on custody. I don't know if you heard uh, the statement that we had from Ledger, which is meant to be cold wallets. Yes in terms of their ability to create this new product that allows the keys to be maintained by three different entities that created a massive uproar. Mm-hmm. And the custody itself, custody is essentially not your keys, not your not your to- coin mantra that the industry has stuck to, which leads to self-custody, which is thematically a huge component of Bitcoin ethos, is that I don't want the government to be able to take my money and what's mine. And we've seen 
cases after cases from Cyprus to 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 various sort of Zimbabwe mm. to so you have all these economies that are still dealing with um, with ensuring the government whether it's an inflation or inflation tax or whether it's simply as government the inability to you know to uh, have the banking system have enough not have enough liquidity for bank system to to return what's owed to you there were all these so self custody is central and I would say Derek that half the conversations were around that that institutions have to understand that it's not something like, and which is funny because I do work for a large financial institution. We are primary business custody. And I came with a lot of lessons learned, a lot of questions in terms of viability of digital asset custody, because especially in course of Bitcoin, which is still the dominant asset class, uh, you know, uh, you know, in the industry and that defines the industry. So there's a lot of debate on that front. There's also conversations in terms of regulation that came about, which is, the RIA is requiring qualified custodians and what can industry do to circumvent that, that challenge. Um, so super interesting conversation. And also, um, you know, that we had the institutional investors looking at business models. So things like lightning networks, these are newer emerging networks trying to scale down. What is the investment appetite of various investors? There was a lot of conversation from a lot of VC firms who came and broke down as to what is the investment equation in investing into a Bitcoin only project. So these are focused on purely focusing on Lightning networks or fo focusing on layer two or focusing on decentralized exchanges or focusing on many of these projects that are, which are common in Ethereum ecosystem but are slowly making shape or coming to, to the innovation that Bitcoin brings only because Bitcoin is resilient. It's been the longest running chain and it actually has a massive quantum of, of, you know, of assets. So that's the debate that we're having in the enterprise institutional space. And did, was there a general discussion around the separation of Bitcoin and just the rest of the, of the digital asset community? Because it's extraordinary that they refer to the entire world outside Bitcoin as altcoins, alternative coins, alternative to Bitcoin. Um, so was there a sort of a, a crystallization that Bitcoin sits here and this is why it's here and then there's the rest of the industry out there? Yeah, <laughs> Derek. Uh, Bitcoin conference has always been about maximalist uh, attitudes. Mm. Of course, that was always the conflict. Like, hey, Bitcoin is different. Bitcoin is unique. And let's not. So this whole ossification, which is let's not touch it. It's doing well. Mm. Debate was rampant throughout the whole space to say we need to make it easier. We need to. And there's a lot of amazing technical innovation that are in the pipeline. But the debate was, should we should we continue innovating this space? Because there was another concern that a lot of core developers essentially people who maintain this sort of massive infrastructure. There were a handful of these guys and suddenly now you need the blessing to do change a few things, which yes. removes a lot of decentralization elements. So there was a debate between that dependency and ossification, which is, uh, can do we need to do anything else? Or is Bitcoin fine the way it is? Uh, of course, as, as a te technologist, I would say, hell no. There's always chances of improvement. There's always mm. things that we need to do to make this better, um, especially uh, around technical innovation. I'll speak about that in a minute. But, but to me, that was definitely the, the the debate to say, what can we do to maintain the dominance, which to me is akin to what US is thinking and how do we maintain the US dollar hegemony? And that's why I think Bitcoin community is saying, how can we maintain our hegemony? And I think that between Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's a healthy competition that they are trying to change the world with technology and provide different value propositions. So I'm not a maxi. I'm mm. a, I believe in Bitcoin. I'm not a maxi though. I'm not a maximalist. I do want to be able to uh, to measure these things in uh, the technical merits and 
the services they have to offer, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that's quite clear is that, you know, if you just look at the two of them between Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's an amusing argument to work out capitalization ratios. How big is Bitcoin versus Ethereum? But in, in the reality is it doesn't matter. They're two extraordinarily different things. One's a store of wealth. One's a massive platform for building a community of, of, of yeah. smart driven applications. And so I don't see any debate, frankly. Um, I just see Bitcoin as, as showing its position as a store of wealth, a simple, pure, early prototype that's evolved a great deal since its creation and has an enormous community of north of 100 million that have invested in it. So I always see that it's going to have a position for a long period of time driven by its community. But you know, its community says that Bitcoin is pure. And then there's ordinals. What's happening with that? And what were their opinions? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that debate was just hilarious, Derek. So two things in this, right? One is there were actually uh, uh, literally uh, spats on the main stage on people just arguing between themselves. Hey, do we need to have ordinals? Do we need to have DEXs? And they start then, you know, showing down Ethereum ecosystem, uh, which I don't think was fair because they're all different. They all, all offer different value propositions. Mm. And, and your assertion of Bitcoin being sort of value was also challenged to say we should get into payments because that increases utility. And in that theme, ordinals increase utility. And there was a whole question, are we really doing justice by storing this worthless JPEGs, which represent nothing in this case? And those are like really open conversation, mm. which we all don't talk in open, we talk in, in these forums. There's a really open conversation. There are people are saying that it, you know, this whole element of censorship resistance is, hey, hey, no one dictates, it's truly an open protocol, which means I should have the freedom to do what I want to do. And people are saying you have the freedom, but the freedom comes with a responsibility. Do you really want to utilize that, this, this amazing framework that we have built and the community behind it for storing JPEGs? Is it really the way to do these things? Uh, and, and the question was, you know, what is the real value of inscription? Is it really mature enough? Because there's, you know, post-inscription, there are a bunch of projects like Deba, for example, which is like a decentralized exchange, uh, you know, for NFTs that have popped up. A lot of like, there was, I think it was Uni, forget the other project, which is, so all these like Ethereum-like projects with similar names are beginning to pop up. And we discussed this last time. There were close to like 14,000 plus different ordinals that popped up. And a funny thing, Derek, which, which you have to take this, Pepe, our favorite token, yes, yes, which yes. is a meme token. And we had a whole session on that. Pepe had a massive presence outside of Bitcoin conference, claiming Pepe to be the next Bitcoin. They had choppers flying with Pepe as the next Bitcoin. And, and that to me is just, one, I was found that hilarious that you had this ugly frog, frog shaped meme and they had the trucks and they had all these things. And, and I'm just thinking like, man, this is not helping the industry in any way, because if anybody knows anything about these things, they are not on their own. They are relying upon Bitcoin. They're relying on Ether, depending on where you look at it. So those, those things were, the you know, ordinary debate was very, 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 very uh, active debate. And uh, to me, it was good. Uh, debates are great because we need to be able to get those perspectives in uh, from that point of view. But more importantly, Derek, the technical debate around Bitcoin was Bitcoin custody isn't normally friendly. It's not for normal people. Mm. So it's notoriously hazardous, right? People lose their keys, misspell their seed phrases. They input their seed phrases into internet-connected devices, which get stolen. They store their seed phrases on notes, cloud servers, screenshots. I've done that. I'm sure a lot of people are doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and it had led to a lot of ideas. So the industry is saying, what can we do? In, in fact, not just the Bitcoin, 
But all the exchanges, the Coinbase and Kraken, they actually have reached out to Bitcoin core developers say, hey, you got to make it easy for us. Otherwise, this is creating a lot of problems for us, which to me is an industry-driven effort that you have centralized exchanges asking Bitcoin people to go in. So they came up with something called OpVault, uh, which I'm going to do a bit more research on, which was an amazing thing to reduce the risk of Bitcoin theft to avoid the pitfalls of a general covenant proposal while still enabling the behavior necessary for this sort of feature full vault implementation to say, I can move the Bitcoin, but I need to be able to create compartments. And even if I lose some money, it won't be the whole thing. Uh, and and then they came up with also one thing interesting, Derek, was they all hate the, the blockchain and analytic firms like Chain Analysis. They say that they're doing the disservice. They see privacy as basic human rights and criticize the effort of the analytic firms. They call them out all over the map and they are now saying the only way we can combat this, this is Bitcoin core development teams, to say they misrepresent the industry and we are going to actually uh, change the technical elements and they have something called collaborative Bitcoin transactions that is supposed to make these models obsolete. So it they would want, and there's nothing to do with the uh, the debate we've had on this podcast too on the role of the tornadoes and wash, you know, the uh, the tornado-like sort of mixers. It's yes. about saying that, can I can I obfuscate those models? So the idea there is, they're not going to change a lot because you can't, but let's have this new structure which gives people a chance to be able to uh, take those transaction outputs and put them back in the token, uh, the wallets that they can create for, you know, for themselves. And that way you completely obfuscate the models that these firms rely upon uh, which, you know, with the premise that privacy does not mean criminal intent. And they mm. all just, there were all this conversation of a lot of developers who were imprisoned in, in, in the US and in Netherlands, as you know, to free them because it's like they're developers and they have not done anything wrong. So they should not be in prison. Uh, you know, going back to back in the day, the PGP debate on code is free speech. Uh, that was back. Of course, mm-hmm. you would expect that at a Bitcoin conference, but that was, that was great to me that that whole debate was great. So mankind has always fought the development of technology and developed technology. And of course, one of the more famous ones is in the United Kingdom um, at the turn of the century when people bought automobiles and that men with red flags were legislated, had to walk in front of the automobiles with red flags to say <laughs> they were coming. You know, this is the absurd level that new technology occurs. And these poor people sitting in jail are part of that absurd level with a new technology company. The, the current institution, and sadly in America, the current political structure is quite threatened by this space. Um, and you had speakers there that represented both um, the Republican and the Democrat parties that were discussing Bitcoin, mining, the, the future of it. They had a different view than the current discussions that are occurring. They did. Yeah, they did. And I'll tell you, I, of course, you had the normal, I would say, the the regulars now, because Cynthia Lamas, who has proposed a regulation with, you know, Senator, you know, Gillibrand, which is the Lamas Gillibrand Responsible Financial Innovation Act, which is all about creating the market infrastructure uh, for, for, you know, for crypto. Uh, so she talked about, again, a lot of things that, again, she's from Wyoming, she touted the forward-looking state. And that's true. Wyoming has passed mm. a very forward-looking regulation, but that's a state-level regulation. And she also debated the fact that a lot of things that the federal government is doing is against the ethos of the state and the federal balance that has been maintained that states are usually laboratories for experimentation. Eventually, 
Fed's that has been the longest sort of thinking in, in you know in the US system. And she has expressed that a lot of things they're doing today is simple attack on the local banking system, uh, which has led to a lot of local banks being sort of having the bank run and bigger, becoming much more bigger and truly achieving the true big to fail status. So she did talk about that stuff. Uh, we had Tulsi Gabbard, uh, who was also a presidential candidate, I think, that last year, who, which I agree in some cases, the arguments they've made that US CBDC threatens the freedom, that if you have programmability, traceability, uh, then how CBDC threatens the freedom at Bitcoin event, uh, is, which makes sense. That So mm-hmm. there's a lot of actually rhetoric, even from Robert Kennedy, uh, who made a campaign debut uh, and for the first Democratic sort of campaign to accept Bitcoin as, as a... Uh, campaign donation instrument for as you know for payments and his message was free money is important as free expression and he actually brought a lot of things that happened which i agreed with a lot of things that these politicians I'm, i don't know if they were of course they're politicians so you got to take them with a grain of salt that they're saying this to to appease people and they want donations which is what happened after every after every conversation there was a qr code like donate to our campaign that <laughs> popped it was religious it was all bit okay and i was thinking towards the end like okay the next politician which was vivek after his speech, I'm like, when is this QR going to pop up? And it did. But uh, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. made a, made his first public appearance as a presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. He outlined his vision mm-hmm. for supporting Bitcoin and freedom in the U.S., which is you know more towards debasement. But he also talked about the fact that our constitution is decentralized and our con- which is true uh, in principle, and also it basically the the fact that whatever happened during pandemic, or whatever happened during Canada, should not happen. Uh, in in a free society, and that was something which I think was 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 very well received, mm. completely jam packed. I think everybody in in the entire session left. All the four stages were there during, uh, during that time. You also had a Republican candidate, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, mm-hmm. uh, betting big on digital currencies. Of course, he said all the right things that the audience wants to hear. He talked, but his take was a bit more interesting. His message was that the USD needs to be dominant currency. Of course, he's running for the US president, so it, it goes with the territory. And BTC will provide the stopgap as a superior currency, offering competing landscape as a variable alternative, which sort of implied that both be dominated by the US. He said US needs to dominate this industry, both in terms of mining, having regulation, promoting innovation. Uh, and that way you are providing... We don't we don't have a competing superpower, you know, in, like we had in Russia back in the day, and that has made the U.S. complacent. So now, by having Bitcoin, it gives them a competing monetary system that keeps them on their toes and ensures that they have enough prudential sort of uh, you know uh, treatment of currency in terms of fiscal and monetary policy. I think that was a super interesting conversation uh, that he had, and um, so to me. These were, and more importantly, I, I really love the perspective of Zoltan Pozar, who, as you know, was one of the chief economists at Credit Suisse. He just left Credit Suisse. He, if you recall, published about six months back um, the Bretton Woods 3.0 debate on commodity is collateral. And he anticipated a lot of things that are happening to save US dollar because of geopolitical issues and contention between US and some part of the BRICS nation then suddenly now smart money will go where there's cheaper commodities because energy is super important for, for many countries to be able to grow and, and flourish the economies. So he he did write a lot in terms of Bretton Woods. So he actually shared his perspective as an economist. Hmm. And he did talk about debasement. He talked about the fact that, you know, some of these, and he his perspective on Bitcoin was towards more towards commodities. 
but uh, he was the only economist. The rest were, uh, of course, politicians. Hmm. So two things that I think are important for um, the uptake of Bitcoin and all of those no doubt would have been discussing that. And the first one is relating to the normies being able to use it, the usability aspect, which is going to be sort of wrapped around um, you know, the, the new strike expansion around the world to 65 new locations so that you can go to a virtual auto teller and buy Bitcoin at 65 different additional countries around the world, which is extraordinary. So there's a real expansion there. And the other one is the technology associated with the mining, the efficiencies, et cetera. So let's talk about those couple of things because then we've covered it. We've covered store of wealth, we've covered usability, sure. and we've covered you know the, the ongoing efficiencies of how Bitcoin is getting mined. Um, so, so the normie aspect, that, that usability aspect, um, maybe we're seeing, Nitin, that this burst of NFTs in the form of ordinals is actually pushing Bitcoin and the community to work out how to do transactions faster, cheaper, and in a simpler form. Maybe that's going to be forcing that community to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at Strike, right, um, expands the global reach, 65 countries, which I think is great because that mm. is a truly uh, sort of global payment system, which is supporting Lightning Network. So the cost is fairly cheap, not de not dealing with the ordinal issue of massive fee rise because Lightning is a layer two. It sits yes. on top and it basically, uh, essentially it's think of it as payment channels that I can create different channels and all the money between channels. And I basically summarize those channels and, 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 and submit the transactions to layer two. I'm oversimplifying it, of course. But that's the thinking there. And so is like Cash Apps and Lightning Labs, LightSpark. Uh, so if you remember the ex-Facebook DM folks who are there uh, discussing bringing payments to the world, they had this interesting discussion to say, what can we do in terms of truly representing? So again, because ordinals can do NFTs uh, in form of ins inscription, they can also do stable coins in form of inscription. Because at the end of the day, it's an asset that represents based on sats or the lowest common unit of Bitcoin. So there was a lot of those debates to say, hey, what if these sats were to be denominated in Bitcoin and this moves around and and which are they, by the way, some of these experiments have been tried before uh, at, at many different levels. But the whole idea was to increase utility to make it a true payment system. In that context, uh, of course, Salvador, El Salvador came into, into, into conversation to say they have actually done this as a legal tender. Uh, a lot of countries around the world, at least few of them have denominated Bitcoin as legal tender, uh, that conversation sort of popped up quite a bit in terms of what the legal tender of, you know, of, you know, uh, these countries dealing with it. And do we really translate Bitcoin as a local currency or can Bitcoin be itself be used? Of course, uh, at throughout the conference, Derek, um, IBEX and a few of the sponsors had mobile app and people could actually buy your food and pizza and beer and wine with Bitcoin. Wow. And Proverbial, and by the way, today is the Bitcoin Pizza Day, which the most yes. expensive pizza, it's about 290 million, Derek. Whoever <laughs> uh, paid uh, for pizza, it's worth 290 million of today's dollars for their one pizza from Papa John. They had cartons for auction from that same Papa John at the event, just not the same cartons, but the carton from the same Papa John's as an auction. I don't know why someone would buy that, but it was there. Uh, but you could buy things from Bitcoin at the same. And I actually asked the proverbial question, why would I want to spend Bitcoin for a beer or for pizza? Uh, and I chose not to. I used fiat uh, to mm -hmm. do that because, you know, uh, only because of 
sort of value uh, argument. Yes. Um, so a lot of these conversations, like, can we have a layer on top that that still lets you preserve your store of value and still lets you spend your money at a two different layers to say you can compartmentalize what you want to store as a wealth and still use some money to be able to spend for things. Um, and, and that is, again, enterprise conversation. A lot of startups who are addressing that. Uh, a lot of startups who are looking at this as a, as a capital markets conversation, which is a little difficult because you have a single asset class and the entire infrastructure around the asset class can be quite daunting and expensive. But the conversations were there. Chathar was mm. super, super interesting. And Nitin, the efficiency and the technology associated with um, with mining has grown enormously. Both the, we discussed this earlier on last year, I think it was, both the immersive um, liquid environments, yeah. you can drop the entire processing system into, so it's actually operating in a liquid environment to, to maintain cooling, because we know liquid transfers energy at 25 times that of gases. Um, and also the utilization, currently I'm hearing, of the, um, the, the power that's, that's cooled out of it, utilized in the form of hot water. So, but the, the irony of all this, of course, is that who's developing this technology, Newton? Which country is the country that's developing the majority <laughs> of this technology? You had to ask <laughs> the question. So we, uh, we had, there's a mining uh, a stage, like there's a whole section on just mining and hardware. And one of the notable ones is micro BD releasing is what's minor. And I don't know if it's a part of WhatsApp or whatever the naming convention was. I think it is quite impressive. I think they looked into water cool hardware. They looked into portable mining. Uh, it's like you having mm -hmm. a portable house, which is trailers. You could have a tra mining trailers, which had all the efficiency you plug into refrigerated water and you could run this as long as you have energy source. And that way you don't have to worry about having established facilities. And um, they had, you know, essentially new chipsets and data center space economization standards that they were building. And they showed new data centers like type type models. I think that's oftentimes miss sort of missed in these events, but that's innovation. Mm. Uh, they were massively focused on boosting potential and environmental benefits of this production side of the house of, of Bitcoin. And every single one of them were Chinese entities. <laughs> and I was, I was surprised. There were some Shenzhen, they were from Hong Kong. Uh, and of course, mining is banned in China, which still happens, but it's of course happening under the covers. Um, but they were also a little bit of, uh, you know, disappointed with this whole dame and this argument because U.S. was an attractive market for them to come and sell their innovation mm. and and be able to attract miners. And I did spend some time in understanding the cost structures, which to me was super interesting. And I bought a lot of material with me to 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 at some point research and read in terms of these the M50s plus plus and M5. They all have different categories of chipsets designed for mining and energy equations that you would spend on these things. And to me, it was like uh, engaged in some conversation to say, how do they feel about this in terms of, and it's like, you know, the US was the last bastion and it's hard for them to, now taking this whole thing to a different country, which may not be as, so Dubai looks like the like the next thing, but Dubai still has energy equation issues and they haven't figured out the whole mining, uh, you know, equation. And I'll say one more thing that there's a lot of conversation around the constitutionality of the tax mining mm. tax. Uh, and that's what I think the Robert Kennedy Jr.'s conversation was that, you know, this should be uh, a free expression conversation that, that they should not be able to tax just because of utility of it, um, as opposed to as opposed to us having the freedom to use the energy for what we choose it for, mm -hmm. um, which I thought so was the interesting likelihood, 
of the 30% tax, which is getting raised at the moment, so hasn't been approved to my knowledge, and is likely to be sequenced or tranched in at 10% per annum over a three-year period. What's the general view of that? Do they think it's an inevitability or do they think it'll pass or do they think that, uh, that, that it may well be put in by the current government and removed by any future government? So two things on this side. One is what people don't know, energy is not exactly a federal agenda. Every state's managed their own, like Texas has its own grid. So we're not dependent on, on, on the rest of the US. And every, every politician who discussed this, of course, they were in Bitcoin conference. So, so there's a little bit of that mm. uh, flavor of the support. But none of the, 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 the political actors who were there on the stage really said this is impossible. This will never be passed. Uh, especially now with the Republican having you know, the House and, mm -hmm. and, and, and the Democrats having the Senate, they have some control in, 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 in doing this. And many Republicans see this as a agenda that they can go after to attract the vote bank of the crypto industry and not to mention the money, which is in, in form of campaign sort of donations and everything else. So it is a proposal and it's excessive. And even if 10%, it eats into a lot of, you know, marginal profits that many of the mining companies do. So Marathon Digital was one of the, um, which, which is one of the uh, firms that actually has massive investment in mining. Uh, did have a giveaway and did was had a very strong presence and they also opined on this that their entire several hundred million dollar worth of business is impacted if this were to happen. So there's a there's a real business impact to this and they're going after. That's why I think not the Digital Chamber of Commerce but the American Chamber of Commerce, which is some total of 300 plus different big businesses, have actually sent a letter to Congress to say this is detrimental to U.S. growth and U.S. innovation. So suddenly now you have the business behind it too, because the crypto industry was able to say that, hey, this is happening to us today. And this could happen to you too. Mm -hmm. So depending on who you are, and suddenly now you're being taxed more because someone doesn't like your business you're in, even though it's perfectly legit business. And that's also a Operation Choke Point 2, 2.0 conversation too. Mm, very much so. Right. Yes. So super well, interesting chat. Uh, Sounds like a fascinating conference. Um, I've got to say the um, concerns drama and the sort of current um, reduction in liquidity or the current reduction in the number of attendees um, does remind me of the, the Eastern philosophy saying, and that is this too will pass. And what we see here will pass. And so much of what we're getting innovations are going to be a future aspect of this. And it was superb to hear of the innovations, technology innovations, um, improvement environmental, improvement of the utilization through layer two, um, through layer two transactional app opportunities, and the definition of Bitcoin still staying strong as a store of value. I think these are the fundamentals that will see Bitcoin as a growth. And I'm excited about the continuation of Bitcoin in the, in the quiet, low volume periods of time, such as now when we're seeing uh, volatility drop away, volume of the market drop away, we see Bitcoin as still one of the strongest or the dominantly strongest um, token. And that is typical of Bitcoin. It's like the, it's like the anchor to this industry. Um, thanks very much for sharing all of that. And course, look forward to seeing you next week. Um, and we'll discuss whatever the current activity is for the week ahead, which is wonderfully unpredictable as the industry can be. That's right. No, looking forward to it, Derek. Thanks again for being a good listener and, and, and letting me share my perspectives. Bye for now.
Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.